Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, well, well. Surprise, surprise, surprise. The district attorney in Georgia first let leak the charges, and don't tell me she didn't do it, okay, because nothing left her office without her knowing about it, and goes to the clerk's office, which then forced their hand to announce the indictment last night. Nobody announces an indictment on Monday night, just saying. Today is a new low for this country, my country, the United States of America is being dragged through every humiliation and it's becoming a banana republic. And it's not, it's not funny. I'm not saying that because I'm trying to make light of it. The degradation of this country is actually part of this war that they're waging against us, this psychological war. You know, watching a president who checked his watch multiple times at a military funeral is amazing to me. No vice president we've ever had before walks away from her talking points and creates these ridiculous word salads that Vice President Harris keeps producing. They don't have any meaning. They're devoid of linear meaning. And... This is what we have leading this nation right now. And the abuse of our grand jury process. It, and look, this is all about taking out or imprisoning the leading opposition candidate for the presidency of the United States. It's not about the actual grand jury process. For a Georgia grand jury to hand down an indictment yesterday, presenting not just Donald Trump, but his attorneys and his colleagues with felony racketeering and conspiracy charges, among other charges. And let me say this to my friends who keep going, well, this is the serious one. This is the one he can't pardon himself. It's a state charge. This is it. This is the serious. No, this is ridiculous. This is insane. The fact that he has to detour from the campaign to make appearances before prosecutors who are totally biased, totally shills for the Democrat Party, that he has to take away from his energy. He can't prepare speeches. He can't talk with his attorney. Now he doesn't think he can talk with his attorneys at all. They may be subpoenaed. They may be charged. And this is ridiculous. It's, it's a drama that this country did not deserve. And now mind you, when Dr. Naomi Wolf and when Alan Dershowitz and all of these attorneys who were integral, integral 
in the Bush v. Gore case when they claimed, representing Al Gore, that it was unfair and they needed to examine the votes more carefully, recounts, all of that stuff. Nobody accused them of trying to steal an election. But now, one of the accusations that was presented in the indictment was that when President Trump tried to do what Al Gore's lawyers and consultants were telling him to do, and actually George Bush's as well, they were both instructing their teams to find ways to locate the votes they needed to get themselves over the top. And when both campaigns sought to coordinate their efforts closely with the grassroots get-out-the-vote organizations and with the state leadership figures on both sides, imagine it's a chargeable felony for Donald Trump. And this is so bad for this country. The description of what they're looking for in the months ahead should make anybody who has ever studied the history of show trials, the trial that's requested for within the next six months during the peak of primary campaign season, season rather, and the plan is for all of the defendants to be tried together. That's exactly what Stalin and Chairman Mao did in their show trials and public confessions. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis said that all 19 defendants would be tried at the same time and that she would be asking for a trial within the next six months. This is not about criminality. This is about targeting the leading opposition candidate fewer than five months before the Iowa caucuses. Take his focus, take his time, take his resources, and not allow him to make his case to the American public. He's got to worry about trying to stay out of jail. Even as he has to cancel dates on his campaign calendar. That is exactly what happens in banana republics. You imprison the opposition leader or you indict him under fake, phony, inflated charges while they're on the campaign trail. Whatever becomes of this, There's nobody in the future, no future opposition leader who's going to dare to challenge a contested election. With this indictment, I mean, they indicted his attorneys. Rudy Giuliani is the big name, but Jenna Ellis? This is a president who has been targeted from the day he came down that escalator. And this establishes a precedent that we've never seen before, that if the public likes a candidate, but the powers that be in Washington do not, on both sides of the aisle, mind you, then they can't find people to work on their campaigns, they can't find speechwriters, they can't get lawyers. If a lawyer knows they could be indicted and tried, like these lawyers are gonna be indicted and tried, do you really think they wanna work for Donald Trump? So it's interesting because Naomi Wolf went to hear Doctor uh, hear President Trump rather at an event in Bedminster, and a friend of hers took her, and she you know she she wasn't thrilled, but no journalist should give up the chance to hear a former president, especially one that's the current candidate for the job. So she went 
They went out and she said, the experience took me aback as it made me rethink many of my reflexes. Reflexes that even I recognize have been engineered by propaganda and repetition, as I'm only human. She said, reflexes that were engineered in me to make me hate Donald Trump. First of all, the physical setting, the one that they arrived at a day before the speech, they were actually hosted overnight. I've been conditioned to believe she said that Trump, Inc., empire was about poor taste. I realized that a huge part of the animosity that's directed at him was a class-based dog whistle system. People with taste, that is, the global elite, the liberal elite, were asked to hate and disdain someone who had been labeled as a vulgarian, a short-fingered vulgarian, since the days of Spy Magazine. All of the coverage, which she was familiar with, Dr. Wolf, showcased the crimes of Donald Trump's bad taste. He's not our kind. As a student of Edith Wharton, though, and of New York City social history, I've always been skeptical, skeptical, skeptical <laughs> of this line of attack. For 150 years, the New York elite, who are already established, have been fighting tooth and nail against the new money. They hate it. The old Dutch families fought off the robber barons. Do you ever read the book? Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe back in 1987? Was Donald Trump's purported bad taste an actual moral crime? But at Bedminster, she said, I was moved before I even heard the man by the decisions made by his team about the physical surrounding. An elegant private club. It was a monument not to ostentation or showy excess, it was built to remember and celebrate a moment in America in which America was perfect to some people. Everywhere you looked, the rolling laws edged with untouched wilderness in the heart of New Jersey, a big blue swimming pool ringed with quiet guest rooms, fountains and classical shapes and plantings. The clocks that looked straight out of 1915. The architecture that looked like a 1920s movie white clappered and gray stone and clock towers. It was kind of neat. I recognized this landscape, these building this moment in the American dream. This was America between the wars, before the Depression. It was Jay Gatsby's Long Island. It was F. Scott Fitzgerald's vision. It was the life for which the writer had always longed. Now you can deconstruct that all you want. You can point out that there was a terrible time, there were lynchings and segregations, and you can point to any number of flaws in our nation. But guess what? Those Ivy League institutions, these universities, they were built at the same time period using the same romantic iconography. And they are not only crimes in our past, though the crimes are real, there was hope, there was innocence, and there was idealism for our nation and for all of our people also in our past. Trump's choices in the miniature world he had created were not vulgar. They were aspirational, and they encapsulated a memory of an aspirational America. At the event, it was a small, fairly private gathering hosted and attended by leaders of the Jewish community in a well-appointed but not over-the-top dining room. These were not the Jewish readers of the New York Times or the inhabitants of the Upper West Side. These were not the liberal Jews these were the stalwarts of the few Zionist organizations left in America, members of the Orthodox community, 
The women around me were not dressed in showy, revealing cocktail gowns as in Las Vegas. They were modestly dressed, as Orthodox Jewish women choose to be, with long sleeves and ankle-length gowns, their hair covered by scarves or wigs. The secular men wore suits, but those from the ultra-Orthodox community wore the traditional black suits and hats and were bearded. And there appeared the man himself. He was welcomed. He took his place at a low informal podium. And for a minute, I had an eerie experience. This man, the target of white hot hatred from everyone in my life, was standing about 10 feet away from where we were seated. There was his height, much more notable in person than on camera. The slight swagger in his body language, dark blue suit, signature red tie, and his face itself so familiar from the media that it all felt a bit surreal. His formerly orange hair was more muted and more silvery and a less unusual shape. His formerly orange complexion was also toned down. He looked more statesmanlike than previously and more appropriately his age. Whoever was advising him, those were effective choices. And I was surprised to see how beloved he was by the ultra-Orthodox rabbi who welcomed him and who gave the blessing in Hebrew and in English. I was surprised, too, to see how comfortable President Trump seemed, surrounded by Hebrew prayers, by rabbis in felt hats, by an award that evoked the decorations around Torah scrolls. He seemed extremely familiar with this community and very much at home. And I heard from their remarks why they loved him so. He staunchly defended the state of Israel. These were people who remembered how they'd been run out of Europe and had been massacred. I was moved, she said. Then President Trump himself spoke. I didn't record his remarks, so my summary is impressionistic. He's much smarter in person than he appears to be in public events because the national media makes him look stupid. For over an hour, he spoke, departed from his notes, long, detailed, extemporaneous riffs. His intelligence struck me as being strongest in perceptiveness and intuition, as so many successful businessmen and women's intelligence are, as opposed to being detail-oriented or theoretically analytical. In other words, like other effective business leaders, he grasped both the essence of and the leverage points in a conflict or a predicament. As I listened to him, I explored those stories within another context. If In business and in media, if someone can't explain a pitch in one page summary, it's just not actionable. I understood why his leadership style would demand this kind of executive summary. And given the list of achievements that he also shared with us, I could see how my liberal policy wonk tribe's tendency against which we all struggled in the Clinton era to theorize, to pontificate, and to exhaust the reader with policy details could actually lead to a weaker performance from and could even generate more confusion for any commander-in-chief. In his list of accomplishments from his prior tenure as president, he impressed me as being extremely street smart about geopolitics. Anecdote after anecdote, he described a geopolitical conflict that threatened the U.S. and then his quick action to give our country the upper hand. Mexico's reluctance to keep mentally ill or criminal people from crossing our border. He told the story how he threatened to withdraw aid from them. He described moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. In each case, I recalled how the media had portrayed what he had done. He was a bully, a unilateralist, a child, a thrower of tantrums. Well, I didn't agree with all the outcomes in his list. I felt, to be frank again, a pang. He was a bully, 
but I saw, I'll confess, as he spoke, that he had been our bully. I realized that I'd missed having someone in that role on the world stage. You can dislike such a figure personality, but when I reflected on where we are now, with all the gentlemanly figures like Anthony Blinken, trotting around, hat in hand, head bowed, supplicating at the feet of tyrants around the world who all enjoy abusing the United States, I felt a certain nostalgia for a president who, okay, put America first. The liberals are waking up. The independents are waking up. This is going to be a monstrous election. And as my husband points out, if things go badly, there's going to be blood in the streets. They don't know that they're not just messing with Donald Trump anymore. They're messing with the people who believe in America. And I don't know how we'll defend this country, but I know we will. Let me take a break. Don't forget to download our app, 850wftl.com, or visit our website, 850wftl.com, and you can get all of the podcasts. You can get all the information that you need, storm updates, right there. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Every now and then I get it into my head that I'm going to just do like a show where I invite on some really smart psychiatric expert, like maybe even my daughter, no, no, wrong choice, and try to discern what it is that has turned this into a legitimate derangement syndrome that if you tell enough people often enough that a person is hateful, they get an almost con- conditioned reflex. It's almost Pavlovian. And that's what we see. And I don't know. Look, do I think that there are certainly reasons for people to question whether or not Donald Trump is the best choice to run in an upcoming election. I have no such doubt. There's nothing that would make me doubt my conviction that he's our last best hope. I saw Elon Musk yesterday posted, I just become more MAGA every day, he said. I get that. I've stopped thinking, much like they've stopped thinking, because I am desperate to turn these people upside down and get them the heck out of Washington. The distortion that they get away with. The people who, on one hand, were all about questioning elections. Democrats are always Hillary Clinton questioned the election. Everybody questioned the Gore and Bush election on both sides. It's something that's as American as apple pie. But to think that, it, you know, they wanted to play that horrible grab them by the you know what 
over and over again during the 2016 campaign. But they did not want to talk about Bill Clinton actually grabbing someone and actually basically assaulting a young person who he had power over. No, no, no. that was not fair game. When I would talk about that on the air, I would get a whole bunch of nonsense. He did not say, you know, I like to grab them. He said, when you're a star, they let you do that. You can do anything. And then Billy Bush said, whatever you want. And then he said, blah, 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 you can do anything. Now, that's not a nice thing at all for a man to say. It's not what any woman that I know wants to hear from any man. It's gross, it's demeaning, it's offensive, it's vulgar, it's all of those things. But the quote is not exactly the same quote that we were told over and over again about this guy being an unrepentant and violent sexual predator. Candidates are surrounded by yes men and yes women who want to pretend to the candidate that there is no problem with their persona or with the public perception of that person. The Trump campaign and the candidate have to face real damage done through reporting when it comes to women voters. And you can address it and you can win over female suburban swing voters in battleground states without which no candidate can win the presidency anymore. There are lots of things that you could do. He needs better messaging. There's no question about it. But guess what? They wouldn't tolerate it even if he improved his messaging. I'm bothered because it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican. If you're just watching the crisis of what's going on in our country today, Naomi Wolf, you know, two months after I said it, said, I, I would vote for a Trump RFK Jr. ticket. She says, I think it's the one chance we have at this historical moment at circumventing the murderous plans that the WHO and the World Economic Forum have for us. And some of those leadership pairings solve existential personality problems. When Al Gore and his wife joined Bill Clinton and his wife on the campaign trail, a lot of people sighed with relief. Bill Clinton was an all-id, and there was a grown-up like Al Gore to balance him out. A little too much of a grown-up sometimes. They made a great leadership team. It was the same thing when the, you know, kind of doofy George Bush Jr. was joined by... Dick Cheney. I don't particularly, uh, you know, have any affection left for Dick Cheney. There was a time when I respected him. I don't anymore. But at the time when he was presented as the VP, I said, this is genius. Put somebody whom voters know is mature, a lot of experience, steadying, and put him next to the uh, Texan boy wonder with the big name. President Trump is going to get the nomination. You can jump up and down, and you can get all as upset as you want to. But when I looked at the videotape of people who turned out to see Governor Ron DeSantis, people who were giving him a chance, they turned out to hear him speak, and in the middle of the event, they start shouting, we want Trump. What does that tell you? This is in Iowa. We're not talking about this being in, uh, you know, some rinky-dink 
state that doesn't have people who are actively participating in elections every two years, four years. It's Iowa, for goodness sake, where the caucuses are. And they were chanting, we want Trump. When his airplane flew overhead at the event where Governor DeSantis was flipping pork chops or something, they all like just started screaming and yelling for Trump. I don't care whether you like Donald Trump or not. I don't care how many newspaper reports and television pundits you hear saying, this is the big one. No, all those other things, they might be able to get around those, but they're not going to get around Georgia. This is the one, the RICO Act. I'm going to make a prediction right now. This will not stick either. They released those indictments prematurely. Now his lawyers are looking at their own futures and wondering if maybe they should bail before it gets any worse. But there's enough of them, and I know this for a fact, who are thinking just what I'm thinking. They're thinking they can't bring them down. And if I have to go down with the ship, I'm going down with the ship. I don't want to have to explain to my children, and you should not want to have to explain to your children, how you allowed the Democrat, you allowed the Democrat Party and the Democrat media and even some of the people on your own side to get away with demonizing a president who knows how to get the job done and just keep talking about, well, if only we could have somebody like him but not him, and if only we could find, you know, maybe Vivek Graham. Please, this is a fighter. This is a fighter. If you don't have a fighter now, when we really need one, then just walk away. Go live somewhere else. Get out of this country. You don't deserve the freedoms that people fought and died for. As recently as last week, just leave. Because if it's okay with you that the administration target an opposition candidate in this manner, then you don't deserve to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And you can just take me off your phone list, okay? I'm sorely, sorely disappointed in those who are Oh, this is the big one. This is the big one. Let me tell you something. I wish I had $100 for every time I heard this is the big one. I'd have hundreds of thousands of dollars right now. This may be the big one, but not the way you think. Anyway, let me take a quick break. I will be right back. So I love the way that Dr. Naomi Wolf actually... Uh, ended the piece that she wrote on Donald Trump. And it's it coincides with something that he put out today. She wrote, I mused as I went back to my room amid the crickets' voices that sounded and the velvety night that deepened on President Trump's life choices. He was leaving one beautiful, profitable property to go, no doubt, to another he had a beautiful wife and a young family at home. He was 77 years old, and yet he was running for re-election with all of the rigors that that entailed, with the risk now a certainty of legal challenges 
if not worse. If he had just faded into obscurity as a private citizen, for sure he would not be facing a grand jury indictment. So I wondered, as the wind sighed softly on that warm New Jersey evening, why is he doing this? As he often notes himself, he has a great life, and he does not need to run again. And I could not help, though it was against every conditioned reflex of many years, considering maybe he is doing this because he loves his country. Now, see, I don't ask that question anymore. I know that that's why he's doing it. I know that. He's willing to take on all the uncomfortable subjects that he doesn't have to ever think about again. This is a man who really wouldn't even fade into obscurity. He could be rehabilitated if he walked away now. If Richard Nixon could be rehabilitated, trust me, Donald Trump has as many accomplishments more. So he could, if, you know, if somebody was advising him, they could say, look, just stop. You don't need to go to jail. You don't need to fight this fight. Nobody appreciates what you're doing. And then his response would be, half of the country does. And he's right. Those of us who feel like we owe him because of what he did for us, we're not backing down. The people who are backing down, the ones who tell me, well, I'm a realist. You know, the ones who write me emails always tell me, well, you need to be quiet about this and not take this position. And, you know, isn't it okay? And I say to them, look, either you believe something and you're willing to fight for it or you're just too weak. You can't lead. And I don't need you telling me how to become a follower like you. I stand on the principles that I believe. It's very, very difficult. There have been numerous times over the last 33 years, and next week it will be 33 years that I've been on in this market. And it has been difficult at times to hold my line. When I've had people, consultants and uh, fans and, and enemies all tell me, don't talk about abortion, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Don't support Trump. Don't do this. Don't. Hey, why would you listen to me if I could be so easily swayed from what I believe? Look, you don't have to believe what I believe. You don't have to listen to my show. You don't have to do anything. But please, don't tell me that I shouldn't be true to my mine own self. I have no choice. I was raised this way. And while my father may not have agreed with many of my positions over the years, the one thing he instilled in me was this sort of confidence that if I thought about it and I evaluated it and I analyzed it and I came to a conclusion, if that conclusion lined up with moral, biblical, and just common sense values, I should stand on it. I shouldn't allow myself to be persuaded otherwise. I don't need to be explained by a number of uh, people out there right now 
how this may be a losing election and how so many people are fearful of this candidate because those same people all say to me, every last one of them, every single one of them, say to me, but if he gets the nomination, I will vote for him. What does that tell you? I know what it tells me. That for all their blather, they will vote for him because he deserves their vote. And win or lose, I'm going to do what I think is the right thing. I love this country. I love everything about this country. I love what it stands for. I love the way it has led. I love the way it has corrected its most evil ways. It's the only country I can think of that sees its own faults and tries its best to remedy them. I love this country because when it comes to leading the world, we don't lead them to get rich. We don't colonize anywhere. We lead them in an effort to bring them some peace, to bring them maybe even a little democracy, although I've given up on trying to bring democracy to countries that are not interested in democracy. We lead because we believe in a greater good. And I'm tired of politicians who can hem and haw about what is the greater good. I'm tired of politicians who tell me, well, you gotta listen to the experts. All we did was listen to the experts. Don't use ivermectin. COVID will kill everybody. They were lying, and they knew they were lying. Now we know they knew they were lying. The FDA admits that ivermectin, you know, is, is okay to use. The FDA, yeah. And the National Institutes of Health and all of them now say the lockdowns were dangerous. They caused more harm than good. So no, 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 no. Nobody is going to persuade me to turn my back on the only person, by the way, who I ever voted for that one, at least once, who did almost everything he promised me. And to you, Ann Coulter, and to you, Perry, and to all of you, but he didn't do this, and he didn't do that, and he really is not likable, and all the rest of it. I'm not likable, and I can't do everything I want to do. But what I do do will stand the test of time. I don't care if you record my show and listen to it in 10 years. I'll still be in the same frame of mind. I'll still believe the same things. And I'll still be a hard-headed, stubborn Trump supporter. And that's it. I'll still be anti-abortion. I'll still be pro-Second Amendment. I'll still be peace through strength. That's who I am. It's not an act. It's not something I do to get you to listen to this show. It's who I am. You listen to this show because it's who you are. Mostly, anyway. All right, don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson. And then we'll have all the good times that we have with the overnight hosts. Everybody from Joe Pags to Lars Larson to the overnight guys. And then Jen and Bill will be back first thing in the morning at 10 o'clock. Or 9 o'clock, actually, Brian Kilmeade comes on, and then at noon, it's Dan Bongino. And Dan and I are standing hand-in-hand, toe-to-toe, supporting the one person we believe has got this country's best interests at heart. Thank you, Dan, 
And thank you those who know what I'm talking about. All right, I'm going to take a break and I'll come back and finish the show. So tomorrow it is my intention to actually be able to outline to you what exactly is in this 98-page indictment, which took me almost two hours to read, asking numerous people for help in understanding what exactly I was looking at, because it's really kind of grotesque. That's all I can say. And I think that the least I can do, and you'll probably hear 10 different versions of what's in it and what it means and all the rest of it within the next couple of days. I get it. But my analysis of it. So you can be sure that I got a lot to say. <laughs> I got a lot to say. I am convinced that this is going to be the undoing of the Biden administration and that it is going to only help Donald Trump. And if the Republican Party doesn't want to get on board, then they will pay for that. And I know that. They can say whatever they want. They will pay for walking away from someone that the country does not want to walk away from. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how they feel. It just doesn't matter. They're, they better learn. They never learn, though. You know, that's the problem. They never, ever learn. And it's why I've never been a Republican. Because what the heck? Why, why would you continue to play your losing hand over and over again? It's John McCain. It's Mitt Romney. It's uh, Bob Dole. I mean, rest in peace, Bob Dole and... Uh, John McCain. I believe Mitt Romney's still alive. He doesn't really impress anybody, so he might be <laughs> still alive. I think he is. He's in the Senate, isn't he? Yeah. Um, that shows you how important he is to me, right? But, but they just don't understand that the American people, we don't want to be told who to support. We don't want to be told whether or not this person or that person uh, reflects your values. We want people who reflect our values. And those values are apparently quite different than the values of uh, way too many of the people who are sitting in positions of power. I'm over it. I really am. I've, I've come to the conclusion that there's no reason for me to believe that there are people who understand what it is that we believe, they don't, because they don't believe it. That's the bottom line. If they believed it, I wouldn't have to get on the air every day and try to make the case, right? They just don't really believe that America could be great again. And that's sad. It really is sad. So I, I pray for them. That's all I can do. And I pray for this country. That's all I can do, and I continue to support someone who I believe can actually uh, help us to get out of this terrible mess. So you don't want to miss tomorrow's show where I will break down the charges of racketeering and all of this, uh, you know, the RICO Act being used. It's a 98-page indictment. So for me to break it down in 21 minutes is going to be a challenge, but I'm going to do that. 
And of course, you know, there are other people who are in, in this mess with him right now, which makes it very difficult for him to attract people to work with him and for him if they think they could face a charge like this, a charge, a RICO Act charge. Imagine they charge Rudy Giuliani with the RICO Act. Rudy Giuliani, the man who used the RICO Act more effectively than any other attorney general, when he was attorney general of New York, than any other attorney general in my lifetime. This was the guy who knew how to use the RICO Act to end the mob. The mob. Now he's charged under it. You can't make this stuff up. So I thank you for your time this time and till next time. My hope is to be back here tomorrow at Be His Will and he delays his coming. I'll actually be at a remote location, but boy, is that going to be fun. So you just make sure you tuned in. May God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. See you all tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.